Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So wonderful to be here present in the presence of God, worshipping together as a family, as a WICC family, both here in this nation and in, from the nations of the world. I just want to wish every one of you from this nation of India a wonderful 75th Independence Day. What an honor. It is to be able to serve God with all our heart and to celebrate this independence. What an honor to experience freedom, especially when you come from nations that do not know the, what it means to be free. Or you've been in those kind of circumstances. Only we will really be able to appreciate what we do have, what we do enjoy, and what we are able to celebrate today. So I want to just greet all of you and wish every one of you. I want to thank God for all the people that made it possible for us to be celebrating our independence and enjoying living in a nation with independence. I want to thank God for all the freedom fighters, who uh, many, many who gave their lives fighting for freedom and uh, blessed us with this opportunity. I want to thank God for all our elected leaders in this nation and all the people that have been leading from the front, uh, the, the, the rulers, the elected leaders, the opposition, the, everybody that is in a place of responsibility, that is becoming a blessing to our nation. I want to thank God for every one of you. I want to thank God together for all the institutions that bring uh, checks and balances that are righteously out there in the front, uh, you know, leading from the front and bringing this, uh, our nation to walk in a place of righteousness. I want to thank God for every one of them. I want to thank God for the bureaucracy that works very hard uh, to administrate this nation, to, to bring order, godly order, uh, into taking care of the affairs of this nation. I want to thank God for them. I want to thank God for the judiciary, that, uh, whom God has placed in a place of influence to bring about righteous decisions, godly decisions, that will lift up the name uh, uh, you know, of righteousness and justice and mercy, which God desires for this land. But above all, I want to thank God. I want to thank God for being the source of all freedom. I want to thank God for being the source of righteousness and love and and having it on his heart to be able to allow our nation to walk in freedom, I want to thank the God of heaven who makes it possible. So I celebrate uh, this Independence Day with every one of you. But along with celebrating the independence that we have on the outside, there is a deeper level of independence that I want every one of us to walk into. A deeper level of independence is when you and I come to a place where we can walk in freedom not only outside, but also freedom on the inside of our heart. This is a place where we walk in freedom from, truly freedom from fear in our heart, truly freedom from torment and tyranny, not just outside, but from inside our heart. That we don't give room to the enemy, to our fears, to the lies of the devil in our heart that make us live a life of fear and pain and all kinds of, all kinds of problems. I believe God wants us to learn to depend on Him. That not only will we have independence outside, 
But we will be able to love God and love others on the inside. Many years ago, I wrote a poem. I just want to read a couple of lines from it. It goes like this. It's not just freedom from tyrants for us to rule that makes a nation free. But it's the freedom from fear, both within and without, to love others that don't agree with me. Independence in a nation is when her people learn dependence on God. Independence in a nation is when people can go freely with repentance to God. That our hearts begin to really walk in love for God. Independence is not when you have plenty and your life is full of glee. Independence is when you love people and you dare to set them free. Independence is not what you, that you make tons of wealth, buy people, be famous and have clout. Independence is when you find purpose for wealth and when others' poverty and sickness you're out. Independence, you say, is to love God so that He can bless your soul. But Jesus said, true independence is to love God and make loving your neighbors your goal. If you live in fear, I want you to know God wants you to experience independence not only outside, but truly independence inside from the darkness that is in your soul. When you look at this journey of walking in freedom, truly walking fear from, fear, free from fear is the world journey of walking in the love of God. We saw over the last couple of weeks how God has been calling us to walk a journey of love. Perfect love casts away all fear. No one who walks in love walks in fear. And no one who walks in fear, fear of the future, fear of the past, fear of the people that torment you or hurt you or trouble you, no one who walks in fear really knows what it means to walk in love. When you study the word love in the Bible, it's, a very, it's an active word. It's, there's, there's action involved with it. The Bible calls it mostly action. It's, a, it's not a feeling. It's not just some emotion you feel. Love is a very practical word. When you look in 1 Corinthians 13, we saw like last time, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels and I don't have love, I'm just noise, the Bible says. It's just like hearing noise if you're not able to walk in love towards people. The Bible goes on to say, if you have the gift of prophecy and, and all knowledge and you have faith that can move mountains, but you don't have love, the Bible says, I am nothing. I totally amount to nothing if I have all charismatic gifts, but yet I'm not able to walk in love. Then Paul goes on to write the third level. He says, if I move with compassion, he's saying, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I deliver my body to be burned, but don't have love, it profits me nothing. If I operate in, in, in tongues, if I have prophecy, if I live in faith and I give all my wealth to the poor, yet the Bible says that totals to love. And then he goes on to express that love is action. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is all of that. So today, if we were to look at practical manifestation of love, how would I actively live out this love, life of love. How would I actively walk in love? What would it look like if you and I, what would it look like for us to actively walk in love? One of the first ways in which a church or people of God can actively walk in love is to walk in fellowship with one another. 
is to learn to walk in fellowship, to live in fellowship. May I make a very strong statement here today? The statement I want to make is that love does not live a private life. Love does not live a private life. Because when you look in the Bible, the Bible goes on to say, my dear people, my dear children, do not love in words only, but in deed. Which means there is an action involved in love. If God wants us to love Him and love one another, God wants some active steps to be taken towards that. But yet, many of us, our lives are ruled by fear. When it's ruled by fear, we're afraid. If I go out and love them, will they hurt me back? If I go and be faithful to somebody, what if he's unfaithful back? What if she's unfaithful? Our lives are ruled by fear. While Jesus, he says, I want you to love others as I loved you. What does that mean? Even while they were enemies of the cross, Jesus loved them. Love went against fear because love knows no fear. Love acts the opposite of fear. God wants us to grow in love. It's not naturally there in our heart because our hearts are full of fear. What if he hurts me? What if they hurt me? What if they you know, do that to me? What if they take advantage of me? Now this itself is the challenge of fellowship. God says, I want you to live a life of fellowship. I want you to be in fellowship. But the challenge of being in fellowship, some people, for some people, fellowship is natural. For me, fellowship is natural. I'm a people person. I love to be in the company of people. I love to see people and talk with them and all of that. Sure, we'll get hurt and all of that, but yet the blessing of being part of that is far more. But for some others, they're just more naturally withdrawn. They're just more naturally, they're, they're more happy when they're to themselves or thinking or privately. Hebrews in chapter 10 verse 25 says like this, Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day approaching, Paul is writing to the Hebrew, uh, Hebrews, he's saying like this, don't forsake, don't give up your assembling together. It's natural for some people to not want to go to fellowship. But yet the Bible says, I want you to love one another. And what is the first way you could really choose to love one another is to be among the people whom God is asking you to love. Is to be among the family. God wants us to love two groups of people. He wants to love the church and He wants us to love the lost. And how can I love the church and love the lost if I don't make an active decision to be in fellowship? One of the first ways God wants us to walk in love is by walking in fellowship. Make a choice. Plan that time. Go out. For some people, it is going out of your way to be in fellowship. It's, it's, sometimes it's difficult. You know, I, I, I remember some time ago, I was preaching in a city. It's a very small town. Very small town. And uh, while I was speaking there, I invited some people to come to the meeting. And it, it's a town with some hills. And so one of the person that listened to me said, Oh, really? To come there? That that's so far away, it's on the other hill. Now, when I heard that, I was thinking in my heart, well, it's all a matter of perspective. The person is telling me, I cannot come to the meeting today because it's so far away, it's on the other hill. Now, when I calculate the distance from where we were to the other hill, it was two kilometers. And the person is saying, I cannot come to fellowship because it's 
two kilometers away. How can I come two kilometers away? And yet, probably for a football match or for a discotheque, they may still choose to go that two kilometers. And yet, there are other believers who love Jesus, who have no fellowship nearby, who have no place to go and to grow and to know. Yet, we know, even people in this church, we've seen some of them driving many, 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 many kilometers. Driving down for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, to come over to worship God and to be part of the family of God to worship God. Love is not a feeling. It's a decision. To be in fellowship is not a feeling. It's a choice. To be serving, to be part of that fellowship, loving people, is a choice. Another way where we can practically, what is a way we can practically show people we love them? Another way is by act, genuinely praying for people. When we love people, we pray for them. An act of love is, prayer is an act of love. James 5.16 says, Therefore, Confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Many years ago, I, I remember a, a, someone came to our fellowship. We had invited somebody to come to our fellowship. He had come from a broken home, a dysfunctional family, didn't have money, was living in the hostel, studying medicine in those years with us, uh, and was not visiting his family, was cut off from his family, had no money. And uh, one day he came to the fellowship. When he came to the fellowship, uh, he was there. He saw us praying. He saw us fervently praying for people and for the needs of people. Two weeks on to that, he kept coming to the fellowship for a couple of weeks. After two weeks, he said, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. And then he later on testified. He said, the reason I accepted Jesus as my Savior is when I begin to see people, that people genuinely begin to pray for other people. He said, I want to follow this God who has the ability to change people's lives to make people genuinely pray for others. He said, I was moved that they cared enough to pray for me. I was moved that they loved me enough to pray for me. Prayer got a person saved. One of the ways in which we can actively love others is by praying for them. Why don't you sign up to be part of the church prayer? Why don't you make time and, and plan that you can pray for the body of Christ? Why do you come faithfully to the burning altars, uh, to the Friday prayers, and come and be part of that? That is your demonstration of the fact that you love God and that you love God's people. Another way in which we can manifest God's love, we can demonstrate God's love to people, is not just by praying for them, but by encouraging them. I want to tell you something this morning. God is a God who encourages people. He encourages you and He encourages me. When we listen to God's voice, so often it is full of encouragement. When you look in the Bible, you look through the Bible. The Bible, you know, oftentimes I tell people, the Bible is a book of problems. If you look at the Bible, everybody had a problem. From Genesis to Revelation, there are problems. There are issues, there's financial challenges, there are wars, there are problems, there's lack of water, there is all kinds of problems. And all through the Bible, you see God engaging His people. And one of the things we hear from the Lord again and again and again in the Bible is, Fear not. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. Even though you walk through the waters, I will be with you. The fire will not burn you. I will provide your needs according to my, His riches in glory, He says. You see, God is constantly encouraging. He tells Gideon, Do not fear. 
He tells all the, the people of Israel, he's, he tells Abraham, lift up your eyes and see, look at the stars in the sky. Your seed is going to be like the stars in the sky. And Abraham says, I don't have a child. How do you expect me to believe I'm going to have, you know, so many children, stars in the sky? God says, as the sand in the seashore. You see, he constantly encourages. Our God is a God who encourages. But he also wants you and me to encourage others. He wants us to encourage people because, because nobody ever died with an overdose of encouragement. All around the world, people are living discouraged. I thank God for people with a natural gift of encouragement. Some people are just full of encouragement. They can go and encourage you. They, everywhere they go, the air around them is just positive. And I just want to thank God for such people. You see, there are, there are people who you hang out with them, they're discouraging, and you, some others you hang around with them, they're encouraging. Some are positive, some are negative people. And God wants you to be a positive person. That everywhere you go, you find somebody that's discouraged and you encourage them. You t- find somebody who doesn't believe in themselves. You tell them, you can do it. You're going to do well in life. God's hand is upon you. Many, many, many leaders and pastors also find times of discouragement. They want to give up. Many people in the churches are discouraged. They, they, they have financial challenges. They have emotional challenges. They have marriage problems. Go and encourage them. Pray for them. Stand with them. Because the Bible says in First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. You know, in the book of First Thessalonians, you see when Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church, encourage one another and build up one another, he's not writing to the Thessalonian pastors. He's writing to the Thessalonian believers, to the saints. He's saying, I am commanding you to build up one another. And encourage one another. He wasn't telling the pastors, build your flock. He's telling the church, I want you to be actively involved in building up one another. Which means every person in the body of Christ has a responsibility to encourage one another. And build up one another. You might say, well, I don't have that gift. I'm sure you don't have that gift. But we have that command. You see, encouraging one another is not natural for many of us. But God says, I want you to step out of your comfort zone. I want you to find people that are discouraged and I want you to encourage them. Another way that we could practically walk in love towards people is by comforting the discouraged or the brokenhearted. So many people around are brokenhearted. Many have lost their loved ones. Many are going through you know, times of loss and, and, and need a healing in their heart. And I want you to know the God of all comfort is there for you. Today, if you're grieving, if you're going through a difficult time, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is your comforter. Even if you're feeling nobody is there for you today, I want to tell you the Holy Spirit is your comforter. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But people of God, if you are encouraged and you're happy in your heart, then God wants you to find somebody who's grieving, who's discouraged, who's not happy today. And God wants you and me to be a source of comfort to them. The Bible says, better go to a house of weeping or a home where there's weeping and, uh, uh, you know, someone's lost a loved one, a funeral house. Rather than go to a house of feasting and celebration alone. God wants us to be comforters. He wants us to be a comfort in the land. He wants our words to be comforts. Many times when we find others have failed us or made a mistake, we speak harsh words to them. We speak words that hurt them. We are hoping that by hurting them, we will feel better. Many times we say, if I say a harsh word to that person, I will feel better and that other person will come after me 
and be kind to me. I don't know why we do that. I don't know how we, what we're thinking. But, you know, I always tell people when we're harsh to others, we don't become more beautiful or more attractive or more, you know, all of that. The Bible says, be a person of comfort one to another. How can we love one another? By serving one another. We love one another. We can practically love one another by serving one another. I'm not a natural person who naturally knows to serve. Some others are more naturally gifted. When I see some people, they're just, just naturally serving. But I am more natural maybe when I'm with people or speaking or teaching or encouraging or doing all of that. That's when I'm a little more natural. But whatever we're doing, God wants us to use that gift God's given us to serve one another. We use our gift God has given that we can naturally serve. And when there is no gift, make a decision to serve. Maybe you need to serve in your home. Maybe you need to serve your husband, your wife a little more. Maybe you need to serve your parents a little more. Make that choice. Go out of your way and serve them. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom to an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. True service comes from love. We're genuinely able to serve only when we love. You know, we can do the ministry out of duty. But ministry becomes a joy when it is done out of love. Let me say it again. Ministry becomes a joy. Serving others becomes a joy. Taking care of people becomes a joy when it is done out of love. 1 Peter 4, 9. I read this verse once in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. And it opened my eyes to something that really changed me. Look at this verse. It says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. When we have to serve one another, oftentimes we say, Oh, I'm, I'll serve only if they're nice, or I'll serve only if they're good people, or I'll only serve the people that are worth, worthy of service. But the Bible goes on to say, I want you to be hospitable people. People that are genuinely hospitable, taking care of one another. Let hospitality not just be a gift, let it be a commandment in your life and my life. Taking care of people, serving people, being kind to people, you know, meeting people's needs, being hospitable. In fact, it goes on to say, without complaint. You know what that means? Being hospitable to people, for some people it's natural, but for others it's hard work, it's not natural. And God is saying, I want you to do that without complaint. I grew up in a home where... My parents would have host people at home. My mom's a natural at hospitality. She can just jump up and she can just get going and take care of people and all of that at short notice. While some other people are not so, you know, so natural at it. But God goes on to say, whether you're natural or not, go out and serve people and that too without complaint. Without complaint. Let's do this. Another way in which we can demonstrate our love is by being considerate to one another. The Bible says, be concerned, you know, con consider one another. Do nothing from your own selfishness, but be considerate to another person. Say, say oh, he doesn't have food, let, let him have that. You know, we men particularly, I can speak for men, men love their food. Generally speaking, men love their food. And especially if we're bachelors, before our marriage, uh, we don't know what, when we see food, we forget everybody else. We forget all our friends. We forget everyone else and we go straight for the food. I remember, you know, I, I, I myself in the bachelor days and watching bachelors, 
we are insensitive to the fact whether there's enough food for everybody. You know, of course, we explain it away saying we follow Jesus. Jesus multiplies the food all the time. But I'm just wondering how many times we believed God to multiply that food and some host went hungry that night, uh, you know, because we were inconsiderate. You know, we, we love to go for that lovely looking chicken piece, that leg or that lovely looking dish. And, you know, we fill our plates and make it a heap and we forget who else is there to eat. And that's how we are when we are just young and when we're bachelors, uh, especially if you're men, we love our food. But then you get married and as time goes on, you begin to learn to be considerate. In the beginning of your marriage, you probably eat everything you can. Then you wonder, hey, have they eaten? Then the children come, have the children had anything? And then we, we, have, our, we have our parents at home and, hey, did they eat? Let them have the good portion. What, what happens? In the journey of life, we move from a place of being inconsiderate to a place of being more naturally considerate. Women may be more naturally considered when it comes to food, but there may be other areas in all our lives where we're inconsiderate. Maybe in the church you're being inconsiderate. Maybe many of us come to church when we're immature. We come to church thinking, what can I get from here? But when we begin to mature, we come thinking, how can I serve somebody here? How can I be considerate to somebody? How can I bless somebody? How can I encourage somebody? Bible says, don't do anything from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility in your mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Another way in which we can manifest love for people is by walking in honor towards people, in just honoring people. Romans 12 verse 7 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. How can we walk in love? We can walk in love by honoring people. Now what really is honor? The word honor actually means to treat someone with a lot of value or worth. Let me say that again. Honor is to treat somebody with a lot of value and worth. All of us are natural at treating people honorably when they deserve honor. But the Lord does not tell us to honor people because they deserve honor. If you honor them because they deserve honor, that's actually respect. That's you, when you respect them for who they are or what they do or all of that. That's, that's when you're respecting them. But honor is not because of who they are or what they do correctly or everything they do correctly. Honor is because of who you are. What is honor? Honor is to treat somebody valuable. To treat somebody special is to treat somebody not because they deserve it, not because they're treating others valuable. You're honoring them because you are an honorable person. When God fills your heart and my heart with love, we become honorable people. That's what God does with our life as God teaches us. When we go and honor people, in my life God has been teaching me how to be honorable to people, to bless them that curse you. To do good to them that hurt you. Be kind to them that have been unkind to you. God teaches us to honor one another. Another way in which we can walk in love is by learning to submit to one another. In the Bible, whenever we see that word submit, oftentimes we become afraid. Why do we become afraid? Because we feel submission is a, is a word that takes away our freedom, our authority. The Bible says, wives, 
Submit to your husbands. You know, when you hear that word submit to your husbands, you know, people begin to think that that submission is something. Why did God say that? Why do I have to do that? And people become fearful of that word submission. But let me tell you something. Submission is a love word. Submission is a love word. Because what is submit? Submit is not an external action alone. It is an internal con you know, condition of your heart. Obedience is an external action, but submission is, su is an attitude of the heart. So when the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands, it's not because the husbands have been the most amazing people or the most faultless people. We submit because that's, that's because of God's godly order. It's the condition of my heart that I can trust God and that's why I can submit to my husband. I can trust God and that's why I can submit to my husband. Now, I want you to know this word submission is not used only for wives. The Bible goes on to say, in Ephesians 5.21, in the very portion where he's talking about marriage, it goes on to say, submit one to another in the fear of Christ. In the fear of the Lord, submit one to another. Yes, husbands have to lead from the front, but yet the Bible goes on to say, I don't want you just wives alone submitting. I want both of you to submit one to another. Wait a minute. Husbands might think, or others may think, how can we submit one to another? Isn't the wife supposed to submit? Yes, she is supposed to submit. But that's the condition of her heart. But when a husband or any one of us in the body of Christ, all of us are supposed to submit one to another. What does that mean? It means to have a willing heart to be listening to the other person and to do what the other one says. The heart wants to do. Yes, I know this is what I want, but it's okay. I'd like to do what you say. What is that? When are we able to submit to the other person? When we fear the Lord and when we see the value God has put in the other person. Why should wives submit to the husbands? Not because of the fear of the, being a friend of the husband. No, we submit because of the value we give to God. And the value we, we see that God has put into a position where the husband has to lead. Why should husbands also walk submissively to the wives? When I say the word submissive, I mean the attitude of the heart. Why? Because of the value you see God has put in your wife. Why should all of us in the body of Christ submit one to another? It's because of the value we see God has put. Now, submission is not obedience. Obedience is the act. When it comes to obedience, there is godly order. But when it comes to submission, it is the condition of our heart. Not just does God want to submit, He wants us to forgive. He wants us to forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 The walking in love is by manifesting your forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God in Christ has forgiven you. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of you, thinking less of you, but thinking of your, you know, thinking of you less. Humility is not thinking less of you, looking down upon yourself, but thinking of you less. It's, it's not being obsessed by ourselves, but learning to be humble, where we forgive people, not blaming them for their mistakes and our mistakes, but accepting one another, walking in love, because love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. Finally, if we were to walk in love, what would it look like? If we were to walk in love, God would ask us to live 
harmoniously with one another. Romans chapter 15 and verse 5 says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. The Bible is saying the God who gives perseverance and encouragement give you the same mind, the ability to have the same mind, to be in harmony with one another. God is challenging you and me and saying, can you and I walk in harmony? He encourages Clement and others, you know, in the, in the Word of God, he says, you know, I want them to be in harmony, in peace with one another. Galatians 5.26 says, let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. But he says, let there be harmony. You know, when you listen to a choir, the beauty of the choir is the harmony in which they sing. They all are not trying to outsing the other. They're all not trying to be, become more famous than the other. But each knows their place. They know when to play. You enjoyed the worship today by joining with the team that led us in a time of worship. You enjoyed it because there was harmony between them. They enjoyed because they knew when one must stop and the other must. You know, you saw when one person leading worship, when they, they, they knew after that song, they're going to, uh, you know, slow down and, and their voices become softer and the other one taking the song from them, they begin to sing. There's a harmony. There's an agreement. Harmony cannot happen without agreement. Harmony cannot happen without one diminishing and the other becoming more prominent and the other one diminishing and one becoming that he might increase and I might decrease. The Bible says God wants us to live in harmony one with another. How do we live in harmony? The Bible says bearing with one another. Bearing with one another, which means showing tolerance, showing forgiveness, showing tolerance. The Bible says in Colossians 3.13, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against one another, just as God forgave you. You know what that says? It's saying, if you have a complaint against somebody, remember how Christ forgave you. Remember how Christ forgave you. If you have a complaint against somebody, bear with them. Be patient with them. Bear with them. Living in harmony is going to take all of us to agree to live in a particular way. Living in harmony is walking in love. Bearing when we see others make a mistake. Being patient. You see, bearing is about an act. Being patient may have a timeline. It's not just, it just oh, one act. But sometimes patience goes on for years. The Bible says God waited patiently for years so that people would turn to Him. That nations will walk in repentance. Ephesians 4 was... 2 says like this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. You know, some say, I'm just tolerating him. Hey, listen, many people are tolerating others in, in, in dishonor, in spite. But God is saying, tolerate one another in love. Be tolerant to one another. Be diligent to put on, persevere the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Tolerate one another, showing tolerance one another in love. So when we are walking in harmony, when we live in harmony, it's not only knowing when to sing that note, but it's also knowing when not to say that. Knowing when not to sing that thing. Knowing when to be patient when someone who was not supposed to sing that note sang it at that time. To when someone who was not supposed to say that harsh word said it at that time. 
bearing with one another bearing you know in the journey of marriage i have learned through the years uh, to bear with the weaknesses of others or mistakes of others uh, in the family a family has learned to bear with my mistakes and my weaknesses we all learn to bear with another being patient and tolerant and the word of god says if you have to live in harmony with one another be understanding try to understand most of us want to be understood we want others to understand us we want others to understand why i am upset why i am angry why i am hurt why i feel this way god is saying i want you to be understanding toward the other person first peter 3:7 says husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way maybe somebody is emotional and be gentle be understanding understand why they are like that maybe somebody is not so sensitive be understanding wives be understanding live in an understanding way with your husbands if you have to live in harmony with one another bible goes on to say don't grumble don't grumble john 6:43 says and jesus answered and said to them do not grumble among yourself if you and i have to live a life of harmony walk in love god is encouraging us stop grumbling today but how about you try this out in place of grumbling give thanks in everything give thanks you know if if you're grumbling that that food did not come well just give thanks that at least there is somebody uh, to cook food for us if you're grumbling that you know you don't have enough money uh, for such and such a thing to buy this or that just give thanks that you have money to buy food on the table don't grumble so that you can live in harmony how else would you live in harmony be gentle with one another be gentle with one another that we will not be unkind or we won't be arrogant or harsh gently upholding one another and live in harmony by speaking the truth in love some people say i speak my mind i i i am an open book what's on my mind i speak now that that may be true you're an open book but god wants you to go beyond being an open book god wants you to be a wise person where he doesn't want you to just speak the truth He needs you to you need to know when to speak the truth. You need to know how to speak the truth. You need to know you know what is the environment in which to speak the truth. When to hold back by speaking the truth in love. The Bible says in Ephesians 4:15, by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects to him who is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love is mature love. is mature love where we grow up in love so when we walk in harmony to one in to one another that is when we all begin to bear one another's burdens galatians 6:2 says bear one another's burdens you know most of us want others to bear our burdens can you bear my burden can you help me can you stand with me but the bible says bear one another's burden when you see someone struggling under something bear their burden and so much so when you are struggling god will cause others to bear your burdens too the bible says he who waters will himself be watered if you're patient with others god will cause others to be patient with you if you're kind to others god will cause others to be kind to you so if that is genuinely active love then first corinthians 13 was forces love is patient love is kind Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. 
love does not become act unbecomingly love does not seek his own love is not selfish love is not provoked love does not take into account of a wrong suffered someone did something against love forgives love does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth love speaks truth in love love bears all things is considerate bears love believes all things is loving is kind love hopes all things love endures all things love never fails and it's my prayer today i want to pray today for every one of you that's been on this journey you're on this journey and god's challenging you today to actively walk in love i want to pray with you today that you will have freedom not only on the outside but you will enjoy the freedom that comes from god inside your heart but true freedom is the absence of fear that's when you're walking in love father i want to pray for these dear people that today in the mighty name of jesus every one of them will truly walk in the love of god i pray in jesus mighty name every one of them will learn to actively love one another learn to forgive bear with one another be kind to one another be gentle be humble lord they will not be arrogant or boastful but we'll go out and actively serve one another even though we don't naturally feel like but we will be in fellowship lord we will be praying for one another lord god that we will stand together in unity we will submit to one another and after everything is done lord that we will choose lord god to live in harmony with one another and not live selfish lives so we submit our lives and i just commit the whole church even as we grow into a place of love we give you the glory that give us grace this week and the days ahead to actively love one another in jesus name amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wscc.in.